0: coming to you from the foot of the majestic rocky mountains denver colorado it's the savage cast a savage worlds podcast brought to you by the rocky mountain savages here are your hosts chris savage Mummy fox and christopher savage bull landauer
1: Welcome, Savage Cast listeners, to episode 35, Gen Con Only Experiences. This last week, I was lucky enough to attend Gen Con for the first time, and it was a pretty overwhelming experience. It was sort of a last-minute trip, as I've already made plans to run and promote Bureau 13 at Dragon Con later on this month, just before our Kickstarter kicks off on September 13th, a Friday, and uh, an opportunity arose where I could work at the convention, in return get my room paid for and get reimbursed for gas on the drive out, so it's hard to say no to that. So, I got in a truck with my old friends Dustin Hatchet, Mark Gacy, and a new friend Royal, and... And uh, we drove off to Indianapolis. So it was a pretty amazing experience overall. I, I had some, uh, the first night I got there, I got to meet up with Clint and Jody Black as they were demonstrating the new Savage Worlds Adventure Edition in the Union train station. Uh, the station's amazing. It's got this uh, classical architecture, gorgeous on the inside. It's just really gorgeous room. And uh, they have one of their Carolina game tables there demoing uh, suede. And that was pretty awesome. I got to meet uh, Francisco Biglia, who's been Facebook friends for a while, but haven't met up with him. Uh, he's a, a global traveler of Savage Worlds and other RPG uh, enjoyment, so it's fun seeing his uh, exploits on the internet. And uh, so I got to meet him for the first time. And send the first copy of SWAT overseas. Uh, later that night, uh, uh, Jody took me into the Diana Jones Awards, which, uh, being the Gen Con noob that I am, I didn't know that it wasn't really named for a woman named Diana, um, but it's actually a parody homage to the Indiana Jones RPG, which is widely considered to be a big flop in the early days of the RPG industry. Uh, basically a, you know, a paid crossover RPG that was rushed uh, to market to meet the concerns of the movie and not really the concerns of the game. And um inside what is now the award, it's this like um, Perspex clear resin pyramid. And there are burned out pieces of the last copy of the game um, that remove the IN in Indiana. And so now it just reads Diana Jones. The award now recognizes excellence in RPGs. And that was a fun event. It was kind of uh, crammed in the back of this bar. Lots of really interesting uh, gaming luminaries were just hanging out and drinking. I saw Ken Hyde and Robin Laws. Um, I met up with Scott Woodard, who had come out to Genghis Khan earlier this year, um, but we didn't get uh, the chance to talk nearly enough, and it was good to see him. I met Matt Forback. Uh, Met up with Daryl Hardy, one of these Savages, Rocky Mountain Savages, who's now starting a new career out of state back in the Twin Cities area. So it was good to meet him and hand him his copy of SWAT because he was a a major contributor to it, and uh, that was really exciting uh, to, to be able to share in the joy of it. Commonly communal birthed uh, child. And the rest of it, that's kind of the thing about the the whole convention, was just meeting people either I've met before or haven't seen in a while or know online. Um, I got to meet up with Daryl Hayhurst and see all the cool things he's doing with Torg and other projects. Uh, He filled me in on some secret new plans he's got going that sound fantastic, um, but not my story to break. Um, Met up with an, an old OG, Rocky Mountain Savage, John Fiala. Good seeing him. We haven't seen him at the local cons in a while, but uh, good seeing that he's still in the gaming scene. Uh, Met up with uh, famous savage uh, James Walls. You know him from running and hosting a bunch of talks about gaming with kids. Uh, Met Phil Folio, great artist um, who did the cover art for Bureau 13, but you probably know him from... Um, his amazing comics like Girl Genius got to see the extended Saving Throw family, uh Dom Zook, of course, Megan Caves-Callerman, uh, Tyler Rhodes, who I would not met before, uh, and Jordan Pridgen, who I had not met before. Those guys were great. Um, Tyler really hit it out of the park on the Bureau 13 episode they did on Saving Throw, the RPG Exploration Society. And so it was great to meet those guys in person. Uh, they had just gotten finished playing a game with the remarkable Carl Kiesler. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they got at least two games with him in during the con. So it's always great to meet up with Carl. Although had the, the convention just been about gaming, it probably would have been just a purely magical experience, just soaking in the pure size and the grandeur of the event. And even if you didn't have anything planned, you could literally spend the whole convention just wandering around the exhibitors hall. Uh, it's amazing the number of people who are in there selling their wares. There was actually a, a local company here that does tea. And they made a big splash in the exhibitors hall. I've seen multiple people post about their um, specific gaming tea blends that they picked up at the convention. So you know, beyond just the the normal uh, kind of gaming terrain, gaming accessories, RPG books, there are a number of other um, ancillary providers for the world that were in the dealers hall that were just fun to go and check out. I know, I think most of my, I bought a fez, uh, very expensive fez, um, but the, you know, I think I've reached that point in my life where I've got a sufficient amount of facial hair and male pattern baldness where I can pull off a fez. And uh, so I love my new Fez with uh, an angry tiki monkey on the front and um, bought a bunch of stuff for Borderlands uh, because there was some swag. I I tried to get the Tiny Tina card game, but they were sold out, sold out like the first day of the con, but that's available elsewhere. But there were some fun Borderlands swag places. So I picked up a couple of Bunkers and Badasses shirts for me and my friend Brian who play Borderlands together and then picked up a uh, plush of a Claptrap as a gift for Brian. And uh, so that was, you know, it's fun to pick up games and stuff for other people after my, my pit of Full Gen Con hall was posted online. Everybody's posting all these amazing number of games and not me. I was like, you know, to me, it doesn't make too much sense to buy stuff you can get elsewhere or pick up games that are you know, going to be out next month. Um, you know, rather support local business. But it was a, it was a great trip. It was, a, it was interesting as a, as a working trip. You know, I volunteered for a board game company helping their front desk organize these hourly demos and uh, helping them meet Gen Con's reporting requirements. Because if if you if they give you floor space one year, they want to make sure that you're using it, or they give you like less space next year. So even for free events, like the ticketing and accountability is kind of a big burden that they they push off onto event organizers. So I'm help helping out with that. Also helped out a couple hours each day. Clinton Jody's Carolina Game Tables booth. So I've I've kind of memorized the spiel on their sustainably raised Indonesian mahogany tables, all wood construction. Uh, steel reinforced corners, optional cup holders, commercial velveteen uh, available in one of eight colors for the tops. I mean, I got the pattern down and that was fun. I'm helping them out. Um, They work hard. Oh, um, amazingly hard, like all day on their feet. Um, This year, The Gen Con allowed them to have like they offered basically all the game table companies and furniture companies to have space in the tunnel between the convention hall and Lucas Oil Stadium to display their wares in addition to any spaces or booths they had in the exhibitors hall. So while it sounded like a can't miss opportunity, it also like meant twice the team was needed to run like two separate areas uh, with kind of a hefty walk in between. So uh, the blacks were definitely uh, you know putting in their hours. Um, at the end of the convention on Sunday, it's kind of crazy. Like you, you walk into a convention or a trade show and the lights are all very bright and the booths are all gorgeous and and everything's clean. The carpets are all down. And it's very nice. And then at 4 p.m. on Sunday, and a voice comes over the announcement uh, speakers. Saying yeah, you know, this is the end of Gen Con and everybody claps, and all of the non-exhibitors are ushered out of the hall, and they immediately start tearing the place down. I mean, it's the air conditioning turns off, the temperature quickly rises to like at least 100 degrees. The drinking fountains, which you see in Colorado we have like artesian water, like all of the cold water here isn't really cooled; um, it just comes from underground reservoirs, and so it's already naturally cool. And so we have, like, great-tasting cold water. Apparently not the case in the convention center. The cold water there is refrigerated, uh, and they turn that off. So the really, the, the, at 4.05, the water in the drinking fountains goes from a nice, brisk, you know, uh, cool temperature down to, like, a room temperature when hotter. And, uh, yeah, not fun. The um, And they bring in these forklifts to just start tearing up the carpets and putting in carpet rolls, and, and then this, this whole team of you know, temp workers there to, like, disassemble the pipe and drape that kind of set off the booths. And even in all that, the, the cool thing about Gen Con is just, like, the the ability to network and meet people and and do face-to-face business. And uh, kind of even in the chaos of, like, the Sunday of Gen Con, everybody's tired, you know, helping them tear down their booths. Um, Even then, there was an opportunity to network and do business. Um, it just so happened that, like, on the loadout from the exhibitor's hall, Joshua Wardrop, who you would know from Arknight, the guys who do those amazing, like, little flat plastic miniatures that they print, like, high-quality artwork um, on clear um, plastic. And so you can have, like, the little standees that, you know, lay down flat. And um, they're pretty handy for running con games. And I picked up a whole bunch of those for the last Kickstarter, pretty much all the Savage Worlds settings ones. And then all the pirate ones, because obviously we did Buccaneer. And then um, at this convention, they had some some deals on some sets where I picked up a, a really cool pirate ship and some um, ocean and beach terrain to use on the Savage Cruise coming up next year, savagecruise.com. And um, well, the cool thing is he was parked literally right next to the Blacks, and Clint let him know that we're going on this Savage Cruise next year, and so Joshua was super excited to join us and bring some of his amazingly appropriate flas- flat plastic miniatures on the- to like kind of like accompany our games on the cruise. So that was fun to just get another sponsor for the cruise potentially, and we were you know we were just chit chatting between um, loading stuff into the you know, the vans. About, you know, opportunities to get some custom art done, like all the, the games that are getting run on the cruise or the new games that are getting, getting debuted beforehand. So for like SWAT and for Bureau 13 and for some of the other properties and kind of doing a, a Savage Cruise special that they, he could, you know, either give away or sell on the cruise and he could sell some other stuff on it when he's actually on the ship. And so that's kind of fun. Just, you know, doing business, meeting people who you've like admired their products from afar And, you know, wouldn't know them from Adam uh, if you walked on the street, but because, you know, I know Clinton. Clinton knows everybody. You've got the introduction there, and that was kind of fun, just between – it's like we're apologizing to each other for like breathing heavy and sweating while we're loading all our stuff into these cars. You know, doing business and just kind of talking about the cool other stuff we're doing and hearing how they're big fans of you know what we're doing and how we're big fans of what they're doing. And it's just kind of, like a, kind of a Gen Con only thing. Like, you know, where else can you really do that? You know, I, I saw a lot of people, like I said before, like bragging about their Gen Con halls, usually with pictures of like dozens of board games and swag and all that. And, you know, while well, I'm happy that they're happy and, uh, you know, this definitely isn't shaming them for being consumerist and, and you know, supporting the companies of the game. They like, um, you know, to me, uh, my Gen Con Hall was actually these demo kits from Chinese companies that manufacture and print board games and books and tokens and dice. And they all had representatives there at the convention. So companies like Long Pack, Wingo and Panda. And that's really what I went to Gen Con for my, you know, one of the ulterior motives besides, I'm uh, just going to see what's going on and promote SWAT and promote Beam 13 was, you know, just start making those connections for people who are going to help us publish our games. That was my, my Gen Con Hall picture was these demo kits. And they're just kind of these cool things that these, these, uh, Chinese companies do. Um, they, they give you samples of miniatures and of board game pieces and of like bennies, you know, like uh, poker chips, um, dice, uh, little metal or metal or plastic posing as metal pieces, you know, just to show you what they can do and what they can produce. And so you can know um, kind of the quality and options to expect, like, you know, as well as like the, the, the cards. I mean, there's so many options for playing cards on the weight, the finish, the material. The – most cards are sandwiched where there's a piece on the front and the back and there's actually a core and kind of what kind of material and what color the core can be. Um, So those kind of options um, are available. It's great to be able to see that stuff and feel it and know like, oh, yeah, no, we need at least this thickness. Oh no, these cards are better. It's worth the extra price. Um, those kind of things. That's what I did for Gen Con was, uh, besides helping and working out and the blacks on Sunday, we started, I think, at four. I don't think we finished till nine. And so it was like five hours of loadout. Amazing. Um, how much, you know, effort it takes to, to run a business and, you know, promote stuff at Gen Con. So besides, you know, doing that, and there were days on the board game side where, When I wasn't helping out with with Carolina game tables, uh, you know, I'd show up at at the board game table early to help bring the the games out like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock a.m. And that was like, I don't know, three hours earlier denver time so it was like 5 uh, (laughs) a.m denver time you know like and i don't get up early and then you know helping the blacks and grabbing lunch and then coming back and just staying at the booth until 11 midnight and before we pack stuff up so just you know lots of long days but it it was worth it and so i think if you're not of the uh you know just drop some money to go and attend gen con for fun um there definitely are ways to get there um, by helping out other companies and working so I encourage you guys to do so, but this is a pretty amazing experience. One of the things I did get to do amongst all the working and a little bit of playing and a lot of business is have a nice sit-down dinner with Carl Kiesler and some of the folks from Atomic Ninja Studios. Here's a little interview. We went back to my room afterwards and and sat down and and got to know what uh, they were up to and some of the cool stuff. Here's a brief uh, start of our interview with them with uh, Mabel Friedman, Jeffrey Friedman, and David Scott, uh, where we talk about kind of Gen Con and, and, and our first or second times there and what to expect and kind of the big things. And then in the next episode, we'll get into uh, over an hour of what they're doing with Dead End and some of their other properties, kind of the meat and bones of um, what, they're com- what they're publishing and, and the kind of the mechanics behind some of the cool things they're doing with Savage World. So uh, enjoy this little Gen Con only experiences discussion with the folks from Atomic Ninja Studios. Welcome, Savage Cast listeners, to this special episode of the Savage Cast from Gen Con 2019. I have three very special guests in my hotel room. If they ever get out of here live, it might be a thing. (laughs) First, we've got Mabel Friedman. Hello. Jeff Friedman. Yo. And David Scott, who you all know. Greetings and salutations.
2: Jeff, of course, is better known as Greg the Goblin.
1: Uh, yeah, he has a great little avatar. I think that was the first time I think i, I like, dude, where'd you get the art for that? Because I want to steal it for Swat. <laughs> and, uh, savage yeah. Raptor. It's good stuff. So, uh, first Gen Con for everybody? or second? What, what, what's your Gen Con experience?
2: Second for Jeff and me. First for David and our kiddo.
1: Nice. Oh, yes. And we do have a kid in the background, if you can't hear. He's played this video game. Say hi. <laughs>
2: hi.
0: There we go. He's the next <laughs> Savage. Yes. Yeah, uh, we a growing Savage family. So... One of the rarely known things about us, our van actually has Savages for the license plate. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. I had
2: to change the A's to 4's to get it to go through. So it's S4, V4, G-E-S, but it's Savages.
1: Yeah, I think the only... uh, (laughs) Dustin Hatchet has Colorado Gamer, but I don't know if there are any other Savage license plates. I mean... Anybody listening, if you've got a savage license plate, throw down because Savages has been taken. You gotta one up that buddies. I don't know, that's kinda of tough. Like what do you do? Wild die, exploding die? Shane hates to exploding die, but I love exploding die. It's so much more evocative than ace. Um,
0: now you can't mock aces because everyone knows right, one. Yeah. Right?
1: And that's kind of a cool thing. So that's you know That's uh, why you mock them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's my first Shankon too, and I uh, mean it's uh, it's overwhelming. You know, we run big Savage Worlds conventions in Colorado more than Gen Con. Well, the Savage Cruise will be bigger than Gen Con. I will run more than 60 games. But man, uh, when you're a big fish in a smaller pool versus, oh Jesus, 70,000 people all in the same building hoping the air conditioning can keep up with it. Oh, and absolutely. It this is
2: the first time we've se- Jeff and I have seen it from the attendee side.
1: Yeah, we
0: worked the one
1: we did years ago. Right, and I'm working this one to just pay the way because I'm like, you know, it was a last minute deal. I'm like, fine, I got. I'm doing this and DragonCon. There's no way I can splurge for two cons in one month if I'm not also, you know, working while I'm here. <laughs> and so I get it. I mean, it's a little nicer to be able to have a very close hotel. The company I'm here with has got a hotel we can literally walk over a sky bridge into the main center and have everything be close. Whereas some people are like, yeah, our hotel is 40 minutes away. Our hotel is 20 minutes away.
0: Uh, We're about 15. Yeah, um, and we've gotten a lift in today. Uh, we'll lift back out, and they've got a nice thing where if you put in the the little code, you get sixteen percent off your first two rides. Nice. And the the best there's part about that is there's three of us <laughs> with three separate cell phones, so we're gonna get six yeah. rides at sixteen percent off. That's so. good, good stuff.
1: Yeah, as a Lyft driver on weekends, they have never once in seven thousand six hundred and sixty six rides given me a discount code for me or anybody else. <laughs> so if you're listening, to Lyft, f off. Um, <laughs> It's overwhelming. just The, the sheer community sense. Um, it's not just like 60,000 people. Like, I know sports fans have some kind of sense of
0: com- you know, camaraderie, but it's bizarre how like, yeah, these are my people. So to know. put it in perspective, I was in Hall B playing games not that long ago. Um, we had a scheduled dinner that we were meeting you and the the incomparable Carl Kiesler. We
1: ate dinner with Carl. We yeah. ate dinner with Carl. <laughs>
0: but yeah, you did it. Um, coming from Hall B to walk from there across the exhibit hall to meet up with my family and then just over to the restaurant was a 40 minute walk so that we could get to a table and that was literally a restaurant across the street from the convention center because of the sheer size of, mm. of how much stuff they've packed into this place and that's one of the six buildings that this con is currently residing in.
2: But the other aspect of that is I was commenting, I was talking to a lady in the restroom and she commented on everybody's so friendly because it was her first gen con as well. And I said, yeah, but we're all here to have fun. A convention is one of the few places you can walk up to a complete stranger, strike up a conversation and nobody be concerned about it.
0: And you can talk Mm. about anything. We've had conversations about knitting and crochet. (laughs) We've had conversations about games. We've had conversations even about politics Mm. that didn't turn nasty or toxic despite the sheer amount of opinions you're you're facing because everyone's here to have a good time and no one wants to be toxic in this environment. Right? And that's kind of the other
1: thing, too, is I think when when you're online, like... Uh, not to get too political, but I think there, there's been a common phrase recently from both of the two major political parties uh, regarding the debates and things like, like the online community doesn't really represent the people who vote in this country. And so, like, what Twitter thinks about certain candidates isn't really who the people who actually go to polls and vote. And that's interesting. Because, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if you're tapped into a subset of a subset of a community, you think that's what the world is like. Uh, and, it, yeah, it's kind of not. And I think you know, we were talking about this a bit at dinner um, to get hot and heavy before we get to the fun stuff, about like what we're creating. <laughs> but like, here's a situation that I—it's I, been it's interesting and enlightening to me uh, at this convention. So I'm here volunteering with a company, and the company prides itself by uh, allowing differently abled people to also experience Gen Con and, and bringing them on their dime to the convention to work uh, their booth. And so um, one of the members in that, you know, in the camaraderie that we're with uh, is pretty much blind. I mean, and it, we came have dinner so we met him and um, there was an interesting thing that happened that really opened my eyes to this community is not nearly, it's not toxic. I'm going to say it's not toxic. You know, when you, when you ascribe a word like that an adjective to that to the whole as a community, you are saying this is the, a defining element, a predominant element, a governing element. Bullshit. Not toxic. Um, because I have seen more diversity of every stripe Uh, more non-conformity, more not even giving a fuck about all the rest of that stuff happening around you here than in corporate meetings, corporate boardrooms, sporting events, malls, downtown suburbs. I mean, there is nothing that quite looks like this demographic. And I'm not saying it's perfectly, you know, Colors of Benetton, everybody's, you know, got it, you know. But as far as uh, just, you know, differences, major differences... And really, pretty much the, the rule has been: we're here to game, we're here to love these hobbies, we're here to love these properties, we're all getting along. It's been and fantastic, and so this is this is what happened, which really kind of opened my eyes to this. So we are working a booth. The gentleman is next to me, and he is pro- profoundly blind. And a transgender person walks up, who um, is obviously presenting as a woman and has tags on uh, that their pronouns are feminine, uh, but still or has a deep male voice, uh, in that kind of tenor range. Um, and, uh, she asked the question and the blind person who can't see the labels, can't see, ask me my pronouns, can't see anything, made the assumption that that person was male. And within a tenth of a second, the transgender person said, Oh no, I'm a woman. And, uh, so Oh, I'm sorry, madam. And that was it. There was nothing more than that. It mm-hmm. was literally done. They both got to work helping each other out, find the games we need to do, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, I can see somebody else taking this incident as, oh my god, we need to blow this up online. Someone was misgendered at Gen Con. It's horrible. We need to, you know, light fires and declare ourselves
0: morally superior. And none of that was necessary. And if you walk around the con, they've got the no harassment signs up. But you're not seeing any of that behavior... That would require that policy. Right. And I think that while it's great that the, that the cons and that the companies are now pushing for more diversity. It's great that we're starting to say it's completely okay if you're anywhere within the, the microcosm of different people who game. If you're, you know, um, one label versus another doesn't matter. We want everyone to be able to game in this environment. So I love that they've done that. At the same time where my back gets up a bit is you don't know who somebody is and when you start saying, oh well you're toxic because of your beliefs, you really can open a door to, to finding out that no, the person you're saying is toxic is just speaking to whatever their personal you know experiences are or the person who's saying that the game that other gamers are toxic. Well, no, that person just unfortunately ran into a couple of jerks or assholes, and that's led them to think that that's what gamers are. You come to something like this where there's 70,000 people uh, here, and you find out, no, they're really not. And I think the other side of that is, this is all in person. There's no barrier between me and you sitting here. If I misgender you and you let me know, and I don't react you can immediately say, hey, that's not appropriate. Online, it becomes this, this wave of anonymity that sits between us. And I can get away with just being a jerk because I want to be a jerk today. And I think that's a big part of what's happening is the online part of the community. And we talked about this before, that 1% portion, that group of people that are just acting up online are giving the whole community a bad name. When here we are with seventy thousand people inside of you know a building that the air conditioning really can't help. Yeah, and, that's the truth. And everything, and we're just gaming together and having a good time. We don't care about all the little details, all
1: right?
0: So, what do you think, Jeff? I don't really have an opinion on it. <laughs> he <laughs> doesn't honest,
1: talk much about I politics. <laughs> I don't. I don't do politics. I don't
0: do race. I, I don't. I don't do gender. I don't, it's Gen Con. It's not GenderCon. I don't give a damn. <laughs> right. Well, it
1: is not a valid choice, too. Like, it's not a part of the way you interact with the hobby. It's, yeah.
0: It's I tangential. I hate everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. It doesn't really make <laughs> a difference. I, I, he I despise you
2: because he tolerates me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, I, 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 I can live in the same place and I don't have to worry about waking up, so uh, apparently he cares about me. <laughs> right?
1: And, uh, to, that, that was kind of eye-opening to me. It was just like, you know, when everybody is present for the witch hunt or the flashy stuff online because... You can be present because it notifies you when you're not there. But five hours later, you get a notification. This thread's gone viral. It's taken off. And we're all just so angry about things that we didn't see for ourselves. There aren't really facts being presented. And we're just getting a bunch of opinions and, you know, one-sided stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, I mean, I've never seen something, a community like this. So many people where it's just not an issue. And, you, and it's not, there's a lot of freak flags flying. And that's fantastic, oh, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's out there. People are doing what they want. The, um, you know, and, and uh, I mean, just <laughs> safety. They throw the word around safety. Uh, it's, I mean, for 70,000 people, for an agoraphobe, like, man, I think everybody's been, uh, you know, super kind, super welcoming, super proactive in making sure people have a good time.
2: Part of that is we gamers have always been the freaks. So we're a convention of freaks getting together. Why would we be hard on each other?
1: Right? And that's kind of what pisses me off about seeing so much negativity online where it's... Usually it's not even about the people who are victims. I don't see victims, actual victims, going online and, and, and flooding it with how, you know... It's like other people like, oh, no, no, you're a victim and I'm, uh, my opinion about you is, is superior. Like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, on a better pastors, because yeah, this kind of isn't really about yeah. virtue and all that yeah. kind of stuff. What people are doing here, and I think one of the nice things... Is as a creator, as a nascent creator who really wants to get a product out there and help support people and get, your, get our own stuff. I mean, it, it's weird. It's like it's very self centered, but it's also community building is, well, you know, part of the reason we're here is to market our products and to find, you know, and, that, and that's really it's community building. It's like I'm making a fun
0: thing, I want you to have fun. Right? Yes. And along those lines, I've networked with at least four (laughs) other game companies talking about crossovers for IPs, talking about ways that we can freelance and help with with their thing. Over dinner, we were having a conversation about how the Aces can work together a little more closely so that the whole Savage Worlds community is served better by it. Um, But I think that in this environment, you don't have that quote-unquote cutthroat boardroom Mm -hmm. business feel even though everywhere I've walked, I'm seeing people who are doing legitimate business. I watched a gentleman who's written Adventures for Paizo for years go through a job interview to write Adventures for Catalyst games for Shadowrun. Literally in front of me, on the con floor, he held his an interview <laughs> I- impromptu, and they talked about what was his background and he pulled out a portfolio and showed that off and that's happening on the con floor as if it was just something we should all do and it was super friendly and it's that that friendly environment is something that is especially being my first time at a con like this in something this large it is absolutely earth-shattering to the way i've experienced that again online or in other industries where i've worked you know when i was doing software development you never talked to the competition they were the competition mm. you had to make sure they didn't know what you were working on they didn't know how good you were so that they would you know underestimate you and you could get that contract
1: and it's, it's weird it's like i want to share stuff but how far along do you have to get before you're comfortable sharing stuff and there's a bit of a rush to claim stuff like we're going to put it out there, pee on this tree, it's our tree, (laughs) just so someone else doesn't come along and, you know, pick it up. And and In a way, that's stifling because I I think as the Savages, the Rocky Mountain Savages, we've gotten more traction and more fun by sharing ideas when they're early and collaborating. And I, you know, and we're lucky because there's so many of us in one place and you get that face-to-face. And I think the face-to-face thing is that I think we are evolved as a species to assess trust by looking someone in the face and looking in the eye and hearing their voice
2: yes um i've taken a couple of psych classes years and years ago when i was going for music ed um and the human species is has from caveman times you look at someone you tell their body language that's not something you get online which is another of the issues that we run into
1: I, I write what I think are perfectly reasonable, sane, and vanilla emails. and get people <laughs> like, you are evil online. You, and I'm like, oh my god, if you want to see evil? I will write you a, an evil letter.
2: Dave will have me read over his stuff sometimes before he posts it just to make sure it reads properly.
0: Because it doesn't matter, to a certain extent, the, the, the big thing I've re- realized over the years, especially as someone who's trying to sell product is it doesn't matter the tone in which I read yeah. that in or write it in. It matters the tone the reader hears it in. Yeah, totally. Whether, totally whether I intended it or not. And so I'll have people proofread what I, what I type just to make sure it's not in a tone that I didn't mean to convey because I don't want people to feel uncomfortable with the product. So I don't want people to feel uncomfortable with something I send out.
1: Yeah, it's hard to get tone right. But I agree. I've accomplished more, I think, in... You can send 20 emails and hope to get a response. But when you can walk up to somebody and say, oh, hey, remember me? Remember this is our project? And show someone, put something in their hand. The the amount of, of, of progress on, you know, hey, can you be a freelancer? Hey, we're looking to use this company in Asia. Hey, we're looking to do distribution. Hey, emails, you're a nobody. And especially on our scale. I mean, you know, but when you can be like, you know, when you can have, Jody walk you over to Studio 2 and say, hey, this is, this is the person who, who you want to talk to. That grace, that little nicety, mm, a thousand times easier to get something done than, you don't know me from Adam, you've just literally seen 5,000 people walk by your booth, and even though know it's in person, and you're behind on emails because everybody's here and no one's back at the home office, you know, for this week. Right? It, 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 there's just an Im- immense amount of opportunity that only happens over face-to-face. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of, you know, we, we we wanted to build that as the Rocky Mountain Savages and get more people in the country coming out to see us. But, I mean, this is a great place, too. And I, I mentioned this at dinner. Like, shifting a little bit of gears, like, to me, my having never been to Gen Con, I thought Gen Con was, like, the house that Gygax built. It was, like, oh, <laughs> D&D was the thing. And you come here, and it's like, wait a minute, this is a board game convention with a satellite of RPGs. Like, even if you just look at the map, like... The center of all the halls are large board game producers, RPGs are on the fringes, and there's my, many more RPGs in the adjoining hotels than there are in the convention space. And it's kind of, it, it was interesting to me to see that, and I, I I get that the industry is there, but, I mean, to me, RPGs are number one. And, you know, I like board games, but they're not the center of it, and so it's interesting for me to just, it, it feels a little bit like, yeah, RPGs are big here, but, you know, D&D's kind of not here. And you see in Pathfinder and see some other ones. You know, they're not the be all, be all center part of it. Now, and I think a lot of ways, some larger corporate toy company kind of places really have a presence here that you know no one's going to miss. So I think we have to fight, even even if you know, as subcategories or subcategories of RPG makers, kind of kind of fight to get some attention. So
0: well, I have to say, I think the largest single company booth I've seen while I was here is gotta be catalyst game labs. They have not only a large booth in the exhibit hall where they are demoing products that are both board games, but they're also, they're running live demos of the, of the latest release of shadow run. They're running live demos of their tactical, uh, tabletop war game battle They're running those things. But then you go over into the actual gaming hall, and they've got an HQ built where they've got Battletech pod simulators along with, I believe at last count, 20 tables that are running their games. That's cool. They've got a huge presence here, and a considerable part of that is at least Shadowrun, Battletech, it's it's the more classic stuff we think of as tabletop gaming. But alongside that, where you're talking about the house that Gygax built, there's a lot of booths out there that are selling D&D stuff that aren't WotC, that aren't mm. D&D, that are, like you said, the toy companies that are here selling minis, or the toy companies that are here selling battle mats that look like maps, mm. so you have a cloth map to put down in the middle of oh, yeah. the Oh
1: yeah, on that level, the number of people who are selling ancillary RPG products are amazing. And even just getting to see this stuff up, up close and personal, that's kind of the fun thing. I, I get why people want to come and shop.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, that's what we've mainly done is the, the dealer room.
1: <laughs> right, and even little things. Like someone put out the, the typical like Chessex clear plastic, you know, rectangular tower of dice thing, but they put like crenellations, like little parapets on top, like it's an actual castle. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I've seen so many people online posting the pictures of them, them buying that. And it's like... It's just the dice part. The it's like,
2: houses the, of cards out in the lobby.
1: Oh,
0: that's kind of killer. Yeah, card holla the right? entire front of Amazing. the convention center, and it's and it's cards from every game. I walked by and there was you know there was a small house built out of the cards from exploding kittens and next to that were Magic the Gathering cards and, and next to that were Yu Gi Oh cards and they they're all torn up and and glued together to build different things or sta- even some of the spots are not even glued they're just stacked up and there's just little kids in there playing with these cards as something else for you to do here at the con and it's the little stuff like that that shows me that well. Yeah, the con probably started because of what Gygax did. We've expanded that so far out. Now, to be fair, where you're saying you know ds not here. Yes, they're a satellite, they're in one of the hotels, but it's that whole hotel is nothing but d <laughs> The D cave, you know. I can't <laughs> I can't name another RPG that has an entire hotel dedicated just to games of that system. All right, And
1: my point is just like coming from, I work in the video game industry uh, for Electronic Arts, and that was back in the day when E3 was as big as Gen Con. You know, pretty much the same number, 60,000, 70,000 people, but not the same kind of community. A lot of it, it was much more, everybody's a fan of video games, but it's, you don't service anybody else there. Like yeah. here in this, everybody's a player or a game master. It's a very communal Whereas when you're at a video game convention, there's not a lot of video games being played. Because you don't have your console, you don't have your computer. You're looking at what they're merchandising to you, what they're selling to you. But, like, there, like, you know, Electronic Arts had, like, a $50 million or 25 to $50 million booth. With, like, huge surround sound speakers, a floor that had hydraulics to you know, throw you around... And it was just like, this is odd. I mean, $50 million just for a stupid booth. And they made their presence known. And then all of their properties made their presence known. And to me, I was expecting, like, now knowing that d and D's like, well, our margins are margins. Our communities are community. We have a a, a tunnel to them. We don't need a convention, especially one that we don't own and operate, which would be a liability, to reach our customers. So why bother? Um, But, like, to me, I thought, like, hey, man, they've got D&D-themed TV shows, streaming shows that are huge now. And um, the D&D brand is fantastically wider now, with things like Stranger Things, with the the, the, the shows like um, you know the online streaming shows. That like to me, if that if it was an Electronic Arts take on a convention, there would be a center stage with these famous people you've seen in Hollywood movies who now run our games, and they would be the, you know. And here it's like it's very much. I mean, the, the dealers all are something like Asmodee definitely has a presence, and all the mm-hmm. sub companies have a presence. But, you know, I, I don't think any particular group is shoving enough down your throat. Like, you know, you can find what you want here and aren't getting overwhelmingly
0: blitzed with just one property. I mean, there's just so much. There's too much. It's, it's. So, the, the couple of things that stood out to me that I didn't expect is I had always heard about Artist Alley, now a full third of the exhibit hall. Is just authors and artists, and you know they've now expanded it to it's the art show and not the artist alley. Um, There's a section set aside for playtesting, where these are companies that are bringing games that aren't even completely made yet; that are just in prototype stages, and letting people have hands-on with these you know nascent games that are still cracking out of the shell. And you get to be there and help shape that just because you showed up to the con. And then, along with that, you have the sheer number of games that aren't released to the public, that are ready, that are here being demoed, and a, and you're allowed to play a game that may not hit the market for up to another year. Yeah. And the, just the amount of that has been shocking to
1: oh, me. Oh, yeah, and you and know, like, so the company I'm with does that. Like, they run a first exposure room where you bring your games to be playtested, and the interesting thing about that space... Is they bring in genuine do not know anything about your product players to come run those games, and you don't pre-register for them. You can't game the system. You know, it's at, in that room they're picking people. We need a one person who falls on a gender spectrum, one person who falls on a sexuality spectrum. We need three other people that don't know each other prior, and you know, they out of the group, you, 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 and then based upon the specifications on what they want to have tested. You know, maybe we're fine with the crunch, but we want to test sensitivity, or maybe we want the test that's crunch. And so you'll get people who are like, we need someone who has experience in these two games. And you raise your hand, that person, great, you're on the board. And they go off, and they do legit play tests on site, get the feedback. But in that same space, they have a Kickstarter backer kit representative. They have four or five companies from China, because this is more in the board game arena. But they have four or five companies who do production in China. You can make a contact with all of them. You can see what they can produce for you. You can start building a relationship. Whereas, you know, in the RPG world, if we didn't have that. I mean, I a mean, lot of us don't. Like, I, I have no idea who does it. I had to go ask Shane, like, who do you have print your book, man? Like, I don't have any contacts in that world. I don't even know, you know, at a time how that how that even worked. And here, we're putting people who want to get published with people who produce what they're going to publish in the same room with fans who were testing their products. I'm like, this is a gorgeous concept. Like, this is legit community building, company building, market building, improving games. And that's just one rather tiny room, comparatively. It's a huge room for a, like, it's as big as our ballroom that we, we do local conventions with. But for here, compared to the other rooms here, where, oh my God, you could just have tables, upon tables and tables, that's an amazing thing. And then seeing that down the road... Like, in the area I'm actually working in, we have, like, a, there's a game like Talisman. Fantastic board game, very popular. But they're coming out with a new version, like, Kingdom Hearts Talisman. There are two copies of this game at Gen Con. One's at the booth, the other one's being played as And we have to have it locked behind the desk until it gets, you know, it gets pulled out, gets sit down, people run through it, and then it gets put back and gets locked up. And I'm like, really? It's just a board game. i like, really? But it's like, no, this is one of two copies. Like... You know, like you said, this might not be out for months. It might not be out. I mean, I have no idea the release schedule for that game. But that's a cool thing. Only at Gen Con does that kind of stuff happen. And the people who get to sit down in that game aren't pre selected They're literally people
0: who have zero-dollar tickets. I'll do what I do for, for our podcast as well, and I'll, I'll bring us back around to Savage Worlds here a little bit. <laughs> right? We, speaking, have we talked about Savage Worlds yet? Sp- Jesus. Speaking of that specifically, I have to applaud you on I got to hold one of 22 copies yes. of the SWAT Jumpstart that are physical copies. And that product looks so amazing in physical print. It's
1: different. It's different than the PDFs. I mean, like, you you use Carl for dead and so you know what the guy does, right? Yeah. It, it's gorgeous. <clears throat> he does not charge enough. Carl, you don't charge enough. To- we but, told him that at dinner. Right? <laughs> That's why we pick up Carl's tab at dinner, because the dude's like... Oh. Uh, no, you got you great, whatever. I got money coming in elsewhere. Now, dude, you're amazing, and you do not charge enough. And the reason I say this is I don't want everybody else knowing what you charge, so they can't call it. Uh, hey, Carl,
0: can I fill up your schedule for six months? like, no, he's ours.
2: <laughs> ten an hours f-
1: And to be fair,
0: <laughs> I do actually know his schedule. He, he does have a full schedule for the yeah. next four months. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it. it's, it's, it's his primary job. Is to, this is the time of year for... Uh, well, no, I'm just talking about that's his Savage World schedule. He's got four oh, months' uh, worth of Savage Worlds material to work on right now today.
1: Right? Like we had an interesting thing. like One of the little tidbit Carl dropped today we're talking about, and I know a little bit about it, Like he did an entire look for Suede back before it was called Suede, an entire look. Um, so it's not a layout of a 300-page you know, book, but it is the, this is what headings look like, this is what charts look like, this is what tables look like. And so it's a multi-page document with a lot of, you know, Finesse to yeah. it, even if it went in an entirely different direction, obviously. And it's like
0: just knowing that that's out there. It's like, oh, I want to see it. I want to know what it looks <laughs> oh, like. Yes.
2: Right? Rub our greedy little hands together. Uh, no, <laughs> Oh, no. and to
0: be fair, we've we've all also gotten to hold. The, the book for black in our hands. Oh yeah. You know, here at the here at the con, they've got it sitting right there prominently where you could pick it up. Now, to be fair, the copy that you and I have seen is in Italian. It's in italiano. But at the same time, just the ability to to pick up and hold that book and see the art in print. Yeah, it, it is amazing and that's Again, it's one of those Gen Con only experiences. I I, I mean, unless you live close enough to to bop over to Shane's house and you get the invite Mm -hmm. to do so, it's, it's just one of those things that's not something that I think the average person really realizes until they come here and are actually in that space with them. So, yeah, I mean, if you had the invite from Shane to go to his house, you could pick up and hold that same product. But again, if you come to Gen Con, you don't even need that invite it's just sitting out for you to all physically hold it in your hands before they're going to deliver it. And that is such an awesome experience in and of itself. Well, I haven't held the book, but Sean Roberson's here. He's the guy who's on the the, uh,
1: Riffs brand manager now. Mm -hmm. And I met him at Clinton Jody's booth, and he's like, I've held it. I've gotten a copy. It's one of two. And I'm like, how'd you get it? And they're like, wait, you made a mistake, sir. You told me that you have it. And you have
0: knees. And those knees can be, uh, you know, kicked, punched, shot.
2: I think uh, I was standing there. Didn't he then say, but it's not here? And yeah, he, he said, I don't said, carry
0: it on me, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was like, that's not worth a felony.
1: You know, if he had it on, him, it might be worth a felony, I, I'd consider. But...
0: I don't know, just for taunting, you know, one knee.
1: Right? I mean, even just toes. Like, who needs a big toe? If we, if we bash it with, <laughs> with the hammer, you'll never get gout in that foot. So you'll be fine. You can start eating more red meat.
0: I, I have to ask, because I, I know some ins and outs of things, how is it that you guys are, are actually working on SWAT and Bureau 13 at the same time? Because as a, as, a, as a fellow ace, I can tell you right now, I have three settings two of which I've told my guys, you're not allowed to touch until the dead end comes out. See, I actually know the answer to this one before he even says it. He doesn't work with monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know.
1: I mean, I think, uh, what is that? There's the infinite monkey theorem, that if you have an infinite number of monkeys clicking away at a keyboard, eventually you'll recreate any given text. We Uh, have stupid monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh... Yeah, our, our monkeys don't type as fast. But the. That's an interesting question, and it, it is kind of overwhelming. And I think. So, to clarify, the, the good thing is that. So, Bureau 13 is a legacy product. So, Bureau 13 itself is one of the older RPGs. It's, it's an OG RPG. Um, Tri Tech Games was Richard Taholka's company. Um, he brought it out before X Files, before Supernatural. Um, so, we're talking, you know, back in the day when. Oh, in one of the original editions, there's a hit location chart in the back that looks basically like as if you took a human being and took a mesh strainer, like the ones you, like you know, dry spaghetti with, or drain spaghetti with, you know, flattened it out, or a screen uh, from, like, a, screen, a door. screen door, and just put it over the human body, that's the hit location table. Like, it is... Okay, so you're in the lower third quadrant of the second knuckle on the pinky. <laughs> to, and I'm like, oh my god, can we move beyond this? Seriously, people. And, and, and even then, it was supposed to be a funny, lighthearted game. And I'm like,
0: how did you need that hit chart table for this lighthearted <laughs> game? Like, <laughs> and and I don't the know. answer yeah. to that is it was the 80s, and mm-hmm. we still hadn't realized that our uh, RPGs didn't have to play like tabletop war games.
1: Right? And everybody did those. I yeah, mean, charts
0: to find charts.
1: Oh, yes. yeah. Well, just the, the, the great, there are some great systems out there that are literally like, chart, 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 oh, you might die, charge it down, like, a Traveler, at least, was he a good dying. But so, So, Bureau 13, So that's a legacy product, so Tritech Games put out the original. Um, there is now Tritech Legacy, which is the widow and friend of Richard Tohoka. Uh, and David Boop met Richard Tohoka at a convention... Um, fell in love with Bureau 13, wanted to bring an update. Actually, wanted to write a novel for it. And that was kind of the thing. It was, David was going to write the novel, and he's still writing the novel. Um, but I think he's put more effort, and we put more effort into the role-playing game. So it was supposed to be novel and then role-playing game to accompany that all at once. And we've gone whole hog on the, on the role-playing game, and the novel's still not there. So we're like, we're still going ahead with the role-playing game. Um, hurry up. Catch up, David. But the, um, <laughs> And, and that, that happened, oh, my God, how what, more than a year and a half ago. And the, uh, so that's, David runs Longshot Productions. That's his production house. And so he got the license. And so he's the producer on the project. And then there's a bunch of people who are also savages as, you know, casual members you know, like Dustin Hatchett, me, Chris Fox, Lee Langston. And uh, Dustin Hatchett runs a board game and gaming company called Rocky Mountain Games. We, Chris Fox and I run the Rocky Mountain Savages, so it's very confusing, all the titles that go along with mm-hmm. this, but the ace involved is Longshot for Bureau 13, and then oh. the Rocky Mountain Savages have become an ace, so we have an LLC, we're moving forward, like we did Buccaneer, Thrill, and I Water, Under Yellow Peace, which is Brett Wine's company, and I'm like, well, let's do it. let's make the art, like, you know, we, we had issues with like, how do we want to preserve the club functions for the club, but all this talent, is that funny to you, sir? My club is Apparently. not a joke. Ah, see. The children. Critics. Children are the best critics. So the, you know, we want to preserve the club function, but also we have so many talented game masters we wanted to become a publisher. So it took us a little bit to figure that out. And now that we've got that, Pinnacle announced, hey, we're doing Suede and there's going to be jumpstarts." That's like, we can't delay SWAT anymore. This is a once-in-a-decade opportunity. Every, every backer of this 5,000-plus person Kickstarter is going to get a preview of our document in their hands. There's no way we can not announce SWAT. There's just no way. And so we're still moving SWAT. The Bureau 13 kickstarts September 13th, and we are going to kickstart SWAT after beginning of next year. So basically, after we get a book back from China, hopefully... On Bureau 13, so we know it's good to go. Um, is when we're going to move forward with a SWAT. But nice so that's that's kind of how we're doing. End up doing two at once. I think most of us have multiple projects in the pipeline, but you don't announce, you yeah, know, because you're not ready. Like the other project down the line could change, and you know I've even mentioned now um, Marginalia uh, as a project I even mean, that is off the radar. You know, in slow back burner production, but it, it, it was anticipating that we'd actually be announcing that with a jump start as well. And so that's kind of how it is. It's I think all of us have multiple things in the pipeline. I know you guys, we've talked about dinner you know, number projects I cannot mention on air. Um, <laughs> that have been, what, 20 years in the making, 15 years in the making, seven years in the making, that we'll see the light of day eventually, but you know we don't, you don't talk about them because you, you want to build the hype and, and have a unit uni direction of focus. <laughs> Speaking of building hype and upcoming projects, I spoke for another hour and a half with the Atomic Ninja folks about what they're currently putting out for Savage Worlds and what they have in store for Dead End, their upcoming setting book. Tune in to our next episode for the continuation of our interview where Mabel, Jeff, and David drop some exclusive reveals about their innovative mechanics and setting design features. This has been the Savage Bowl on behalf of the Savage Cast. Be sure to like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, and send us any suggestions to uproar at savagecast.com. If we didn't see you at Gen Con, we hope you'll consider joining us on the Savage Cruise. More info at savagecruise.com. And if you're planning on supporting Bureau 13, join our mailing list at savagethenightfantastic.com to get a reminder when our Kickstarter goes live in just one month. Until next time, may your dice always explode.